Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Breskin. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to another week from sweltering hot Wisconsin. It's summertime, and that means uh, we got people on vacation. I was gone last week. It's good to be back. This week, Rebecca Lynch has the good fortune of not being with us and being on vacation. We hope Rebecca's enjoying her time away from the battleground. Hopefully, she's maybe even back in New York uh, seeing family, but we'll have her hopefully here next week. But we are joined by Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert, good to see you. Good day, everyone. So we have, uh, we have some great topics this week. We're going to dive deep into healthcare a bit. Uh, everyone knows we, it's a huge issue for us here at Citizen Action. And uh, there was some big news over the weekend with Trump as it relates to going after the Affordable Care Act. We're going to talk more about that. Also talk more broadly about healthcare as an issue in the election. And... Uh, also about the Supreme Court nominee pick. We'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, Trump announced that pick th this week. And we're going to talk a bit about the governor's race, it's getting much closer. The primary is only about a month away. We have some WEDEC Foxconn news. We'll also be joined by Citizen Action Organizing Cooperative member and new Milwaukee County Board member, Sylvia Ortiz-Velez. And we're going to talk a bit about a resolution that she introduced this week around Trump's zero-tolerance immigration policy. But let's get started, Robert. I want to talk about health care. Um, big news on Saturday, and we all love to talk about either Friday or Saturday weekend news. It usually means it's probably not good news in the world of public opinion, but uh, Donald Trump administration this week took a, took a shot at the Affordable Care Act and essentially... Um, is halting payments that go out to insurers who are providing, through the Affordable Care Act, insurance to people who have very expensive medical services. Um, these are called under the what they call the Risk Adjustment Program. But let me kick it over to you, Robert, since you're our resident expert on health care. Tell, tell our listeners, first of all, the details, like really what what did he do, and then let's get right away into why and the political implications. Right, and let's even speak more broadly first. So we've had a constant pattern of right-wing governors like Governor Walker, uh, Trump administration, uh, well, of course, trying to repeal the Affordable Act entirely and take health care away from uh, up to 30 million people. Uh, but in addition to just use executive power to sabotage the law, we've documented it, Citizen Action of Wisconsin, over the years, you know, five, six, seven, ten percent increases in premiums for each act of sabotage by Governor Walker. And it's similar for Donald Trump. Things like uh, not simply not uh, imposing the responsibility tax where people are required to buy insurance, the individual mandate increases rates, for example, and so. They've done a series of these of these things to try to undermine the law. Well, another way they're trying to undermine it right now is to get undermine navigators who are there to help people understand what healthcare options they have and to sign up in the complicated system. So that's another part of the sabotage. And just before I get to the current one, which is particularly outrageous, just think about what it means, Matt, that you are so bent on getting your way in undermining the Affordable Care Act because you don't believe that our democracy should have a role in health care, they're willing to sabotage a law. I mean, this is not even, basically this ought to be 
uh, and you know, we have other violations that Trump has done, but this ought to be, if not illegal, incredibly unethical and say, and literally stigmatized for a politician to feel they can do something like undermine access to health care as a political ploy or as an ideological ploy. And so what they did is particularly damaging. As folks know, and it's important to give this little context, the insurance industry before the Affordable Care Act on the individual market where people buy insurance on their own had a whole business model around insuring healthy people and not insuring people who might have health conditions. Why? Because it makes corporate business sense to say it's more expensive if the person actually needs cancer treatment or the person's getting older or the person has diabetes or risk for any of these things, not even just having them. And that's where pre-existing condition discrimination came in. And it's only one of the ways they tried to make sure they only insured healthier people who are more profitable, right? And quite frankly, to say this about the insurance industry, if you're going to be in a life and death industry like healthcare, to then decide to profit by cutting people off who need healthcare, I'm sorry, that oughtn't to be allowed, and the Affordable Care Act outlawed it. So one of the things that the Affordable Care Act did to make uh, insurance more affordable is it was very important to try to break the health insurance industry of this unethical business model, this uh, more than a habit, this sleazy business model, okay? It's like losing child labor, literally, to profit, using cutting off people who might be higher risk from healthcare to profit, right? But to break them from it, the part of what the Affordable Act did is have risk adjustment payments, which said, in essence, if you're an insurance company and you sign up a lot of people who are more expensive, then you get payments to, to, to make up for that. And if you're an insurance company that ends up with a lot of healthier people, younger people, then you have to pay a fee back in so it's evened out. And the reason for that is, is that we have to make sure that it's taken out of competition, that insurance companies are no longer essentially rewarded, right, for insuring healthy people or people who tend to be healthier rather than unhealthy. And what the Trump administration did on Saturday, by the way, big, uh, you know, governors, presidents don't announce things they're proud of on Saturdays, okay? It was midday Saturday. Uh, what they did is they unilaterally cut off $10 billion of payments to insurance plans, a lot of them nonprofit, uh, mid-year uh, with no warning where they've already insured people and already have, have, in some cases, insured a lot of people who have health conditions and therefore are more expensive. So it's a really vicious act of sabotage. It could put companies out of business, force them out of the marketplace. It certainly will force rates up, right? And it's a, just an act. It literally is like trying to, if you don't like a highway, trying to sabotage the highway so the bridge falls down and people die because that's what would happen here. So, Robert, I mean... Obviously, this is egregious. How then? This is an election year. Like how? This hasn't this hasn't gotten a ton of news. I must say. I know we've put it out there. I've seen mm -hmm. some stuff on it. National coverage. How do how do Democrats start to use this? And is there a way it can be used, especially in these congressional elections? Um, where's Congress in, in any of this? Where are Republicans in checking any of this? Well. Yes, absolutely, because the polling is off the charts on this. It's amazing they're, they just won't give up despite the political consequences. I think their theory is to try to shift it to immigration, to shift the issue, uh, which we can talk about more because they're also vulnerable on that, but they also think they can use xenophobia and nativism in an election. Uh, but 
there are rumors that the Republican Congress is going to take another run at repeal. So they, ha they literally just can't help themselves, it appears, because they are so adamantly opposed to establishing the idea that it's our government, our democracy, that needs to make sure everyone has access to health care no matter what. They are fundamentally against that principle. And so it is amazing and they probably think because they have so much money they can somehow get away with it and they get away with it in these districts. But it is an absolutely dynamite issue. I can't announce yet who it will be with, but there's a major national figure in, from Washington who is coming to uh, Wisconsin in a, week, in a little uh, weekend after next, June 20, July 21st, and we're going to be having a major press event with them on this. And so we'll, we'll be able to talk about that in the next Battleground Wisconsin. But I'm telling you, major national Democrats are getting that this is the issue to take back the House on and also to take back the state legislature and the governorship in Wisconsin on. And Scott Walker also should be demanded to answer this because this more than makes up, in other words, in a negative way, for the a slightly positive thing he tried to do in the budget to soften his health care image after seven years of his own sabotage of the Affordable Care Act. I mean, look, I, I'm assuming... Robert, a lot of this is because the popularity of the Affordable Care Act is changing, right? I mean, 2010, this was something Democrats were not, they were running away from it, right? You know, after, shortly after this stuff passed. This is a very different environment in terms of where healthcare is. It still has a solid base of people who oppose it, but, you know, a lot of folks now are getting coverage. And it's it's uh, certainly something that has already been e extraordinarily damaging. So I, I assume that's a critical role in where this is changing. And the flip is this, and I've been studying healthcare opinion polling for years and years. When the focus is the shortcomings of the law, when you're in power and you put the law out, then it becomes unpopular. When the focus is taking health care away from people and what it means not to have it, then it runs in a progressive direction. So people really, really want access to coverage no matter what, but they're unhappy with elements of the law, especially when there's demagoguery, uh, for, uh, relentless demagoguery from the conservative side. But uh, we have to do this after the break. But this also benefits the big for-profit insurance companies that are on Wall Street, because most of them have pulled out of the marketplace. So most of the companies they are damaging are people like in Wisconsin, the Common Ground Healthcare Co-op and the nonprofit plans like Dean Care and Group Health Cooperative or Guns and Lutheran or Security. Healthcare, which is part of the uh, of the uh, Marshfield network, just for example. So this actually doesn't hurt the big guys who already ditch the market because they don't actually want to cover, uh, give healthcare for everyone. They just want to find out profit centers. Well, we got to take a break again. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action, and we're talking about health care. Over the weekend, uh, Donald Trump administration took another shot at the Affordable Care Act, and uh, Robert detailed us in the first segment about what that was and, and some of the political implications about what's been going on. And, Robert, I want to talk more about that um, and talk about it in relation to Trump's announcement last week about his Supreme Court nominee. So this week, Again, Trump announced that he is choosing Brett Kavanaugh for the Supreme Court. And there are a whole host of issues, obviously, that come into play with a new conservative potentially coming on the court. Roe v. Wade is one that has been well written about and for good reason in terms of why folks are concerned about it. 
But healthcare broadly, I want to talk a little bit about this and, then, and, and how Roe fits into this and how this fits into the election is now going to be one of the top ways that the Democrats go after this appointment. And it's because this, this fella actually doesn't really support the Affordable Care Act and thinks states like Texas and others and lawsuits uh, ought to get a hearing. So I think this would be show that not only is this that this gentleman is against, you know, access to women's health, but, you know, something as basic as uh, health coverage through the Affordable Care Act could come at risk. And so not only does this become a way to run a campaign for the Supreme Court, but also to electoralize this issue. Your thoughts, Roberts? And we've talked about conservative justices and their fake messaging that they're somehow strictly constructing anything the founding fathers ever said or intended or wrote, right? But it also comes out in modern 21st century right-wing ideology. So Mr. Kavanaugh uh, literally supports corporations and their power, and they have all sorts of constitutional rights that, and they didn't really exist when the, when the uh, Constitution was created, right? But individuals have very few actual rights that you can actually enforce, right? They have them on paper, but that's about it. So what is stunning is, is that Mr. Kavanaugh wants to consider a lawsuit by Texas and other states that challenged Obamacare's insurance protections for patients with pre-existing conditions such as cancer, diabetes, and Parkinson's. So he wants to argue that the federal government doesn't have the power to outlaw insurance discrimination on that basis when it is such a red-hot issue that Paul Ryan and Donald Trump constantly claim, we're going to protect people with pre-existing conditions, said Ron Johnson. They weren't. Their bills didn't. But to say it, because it was a trigger in the whole debate, because people not only, people think it's incredibly unethical and immoral. When I compared it to child labor, I mean, I was comparing it on ethical grounds, not that it's exactly the same thing, right? People think it's immoral to profit from child labor. They think it's immoral to profit by discriminating against people who have health conditions or could have health conditions. And with genetic testing and DNA testing come up, it'll quickly be that you are more predisposed, right? Believe you me, that's what the insurance industry, anything they can know about who might be profitable and who wouldn't be, will be taken into account. And so him to say he wanted to consider that case ought to be a huge red flag because he believes in all powerful government when it comes to protecting corporations and then a powerless government when it comes to protecting the people. That's very clear in his environmental record, by the way, where he essentially thinks the federal agency had no authority to protect us. Yeah, no, look, this is incredibly powerful because, Robert, you know, we, you talked about it earlier about health care and the history of this discussion. This all started around the pre-existing conditions. We know that this is, this is way more unpopular to go after this than the Affordable Care Act. Oh. So he's into terrain here. It's a moral issue yeah. for people. It's not just about whether they have one. Just the idea. I mean, before the Affordable Care Act, there, were, there was a big national insurance company that ran a computer algorithm uh, to find out any woman who was diagnosed with breast cancer and then did an automatic fraud investigation into her. So you imagine a family shocked that the mother has breast cancer, how the kids and husband are feeling, all of a sudden the insurance company is messing with them because they can make more money nationally if they do that automatically in all these cases. So, folks, you can see how this all ties together, right? We're, we want to talk about the Affordable Care Act, about the right to have access to health care in this election cycle, and you got this clown going to be up for nomination it's not even going to be just about the Affordable Care Act. It's about just the basic right to 
to not have pre-existing conditions covered, to not have this. And, and it helps define the debate. The Republicans and Trump may want to do it through sabotage. This helps remind everybody that the Affordable Care Act is fundamentally about this issue, getting rid of the pre-existing, you know, the pre-existing conditions, all of the things that really triggered the whole debate from both the left and the right, right, in terms of being unhappy about the health care system. And this guy actually puts the focus back on that as opposed to necessarily just the Affordable Care Act, which I think is incredibly powerful. This isn't just some judge, right, who happens to be conservative. This was a partisan political operative and lawyer who was it part of the Starr investigation into Bill Clinton, and who, when he was appointed, because he was also, he lied about this, part of the justification of torture uh, 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 during, after after 9-11, one of the darker periods in recent American history, he then lied about it, in fact. And in fact, there's a U.S. Senator, uh, Dick Durbin, who actually uh, called for a a just investigation into lying to the U.S. Senate during his confirmation. His confirmation took... 16 months, I think it was. It was so controversial because he was just a partisan hack, right? Now they've redressed him as some great robed figure with great jurisprudence. I don't know if it's as great as, as the late Justice Scalia's, but as I said, it all leads in one direction, right? And just as the most biggest juxtaposition on power here, Matt, like how powerful is the individual? What are their rights? They have a right, the insurance company has a right to deny you coverage if you have cancer or diabetes or Parkinson's, right, or any other pre-existing condition or a threat of one. So you have no rights because the corporation has some sort of right because federal power must be limited, right? But the guy who helped with the Starr investigation, uh, special counsel investigation into Bill Clinton, later wrote that he thought that there shouldn't be any investigations into presidents and they should be immune from investigation and prosecution when they're in office. And there's a lot of speculation that that's why this guy got appointed. So President Trump is beyond the law, is a king, because that's what we're talking about monarchical stuff here, right? But if you, but regular Americans don't have a right to buy health care, whether they have health conditions or not. That's what the, that that is modern conservative jurisprudence. That's not ethical. That's not about the Constitution. That's not about Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, and Ben Franklin. That's just disgusting. Before we go to break, I, you know, I want to narrow the healthcare conversation and talk a bit about Roe v. Wade and women's health right. You know, the right to an access to an abortion, um, which is clearly I don't care what any mainstream media pundit or Governor Walker who uh, came out yesterday announcing that he doesn't think that this necessarily means Roe v. Wade will be overturned immediately. Well, oh, nice parsing of words. Oh, he cares a lot about that. But, it, yeah. but this is insightful. Remember, Governor Walker ran saying that he would, he ran those ads talking about how he would not, you know, he respected a woman's right to choose. Remember those ads? I don't remember the details of them, but it was definitely because he knows Wisconsin is, he's on the wrong side of this issue across the state. And this response by him shows his upset. He, he gets that this issue is very damaging. And by the way, this is going, you know, we already have a, a gender gap building in this election, and it is part of what the blue wave is. And we have all these amazing women running for office around the state uh, uh, at all levels. Um, this, this is going to re-energize this issue. 
Um, and it, it's going to overflow into other races in terms of with the Supreme Court appointment, Roe v. Wade, re- access uh, to health care, women's health, re- really makes this a, a critical issue where it's not just about like, oh, the Supreme Court's going to do it. There's nothing we can do. It is now dependent. It is important that local, whether you're running for governor or local off, uh, state, state legislature, what are you going to do in your state you know, to protect this when, when the Supreme Court does what clearly seems to be the inevitable? Well, let's be clear, because sometimes Democrats don't take a step back and look at where we already are. It's not like this fundamental constitutional right is well protected now. Uh, They've been chipping away at it. The right-wing Congress, right-wing legislatures, right-wing courts. And so we already have a situation where women who don't have a source of payment are in trouble. What kind of constitutional right is that? Uh, and, that the, and that you can ban any any Medicaid money, any federal money going to it. Uh, and that's why Planned Parenthood is so critical. So this is simply that the theory all along has been to constrict, constrict, constrict. And then just as far as a right standpoint, let me just say that uh, because uh, we want to be empathetic to all sides, right? I can understand that people might have a religious objection or an ethical objection. That's okay for them for their views. The, the, the issue here is imposing, when there is a moral difference and ethical disagreement in our society, imposing that on other people, and then you add to that, it's being imposed upon young women by everyone else and telling them what they can do. That's where this is a slam dunk right. And, uh, and also refusing to do anything that would reduce the number of abortions, like undermining family planning, which the Trump administration is busy doing, right? But there is no question there's a conspiracy here, and the Democrats should literally dig in for a number of reasons on, on this nominee, but this is one, one of the issues. we got to get out of here and take a break. Again, you are listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. So we are going to switch topics here. We want to we've been talking a bit in the past over this last month about President Trump's zero tolerance policy around immigration and in particular we've spent some time talking about the separation of families that has gone on and a number of our members that went down to the border. We even had um uh, one of our uh, members who was running for state legislature come on and talk about that experience. Well, today we want to have another one of our members on who's also a county board member here in Milwaukee, and she introduced a resolution this week that would really strongly oppose the Trump administration's zero tolerance policy. And so we wanted to have her on to talk about that. And so that is Sylvia Ortiz Velez, and we're really happy to have Sylvia on. She, again, she's a member of our organizing cooperative and on the Milwaukee County Board. Sylvia, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Matt, for having me. So, Sylvia, um, why don't you give our listeners the top top lines on obviously why you thought this was important, and then what the resolution says. Uh, there have been many injustices and attacks on um, uh, the foundation of our nation, which was built on immigrants um, and the contributions they've made to our country. And um, there are children involved in the situation now, uh, many children. Uh, and there's a big difference. You know, my husband was an immigration attorney, and you know, there's a big difference between the Obama administration's Department of Justice list of priority deportation and a zero-tolerance policy. 
You know, I, I can't even remember any president that's ever had a, a zero tolerance policy, uh, but I believe it's, you know, tomorrow. It's uncompassionate. The, another issue is uh, everyone is guaranteed due process under our Constitution. And we've heard many stories of even children as young as three years old being put through a process without uh, any proper representation. Um, it's simply un-American. You know, we know the immigration system is broken, um, and, I, and not enough can be said about that. Um, but I do find it hypocritical for, you know, uh, anyone to say that they need to follow the law of the land, and that's why they're doing the zero-tolerance policy when they don't want to follow the Flores Agreement, which is the second part of this resolution. Um, the Flores Agreement uh, was established in, I believe, 1997. It outlines uh, standards of care for minor children in detention, and that includes that it's not limited to placements in least restrictive state licensed facilities. And for, for children to be released in 20 days, um, we're well past that. So, you know, we believe that, you know, uh, and the resolution reflects that we believe that they are, that uh, the Trump administration is in violation or in breach of this agreement and that they should follow the law of the land. So, I, you know, that's kind of some of the things that this uh, resolution touches on. Um, and I can, you know, answer any questions to anybody else if they have any concerning that. We also finally do call for um, Governor Walker to recall National Guard troops that would dispatch to enforce the zero tolerance policy. So that's another part of the resolution. So, Sylvia, thank you very much for doing this. And it got a lot of attention in Milwaukee for on television. For those of you who are in other areas and are interested in, in doing this yourselves in your region of the state. Uh, you spoke, I think, very eloquently, Sylvia, about how unethical and dehumanizing this is. I mean, this really is grounded in the philosophy that somehow uh, people from South and Central America don't deserve the same human rights that other people deserve. And then to have the cruelty of separating uh, pa uh, children from parents, it's cruel to the child. It's also imagined for the parent, how the parent feels. And that it's, it's clearly getting even worse now because... They violated the a judge's order uh, to promptly return uh, the young kids um, very immediately, and it's very clear they didn't keep records and that they don't know where the parents are. And so what kind of monstrous activity is this that you're not even keeping record of who the parents are of children that you're taking into custody? And they, they even had the audacity in, in, a, in this court case to argue that the parents they had deported uh, that their kids didn't have any more rights and that they didn't have to return them. So they're permanently, this isn't just separation. Separation is too strong a word. This is uh, stealing people's kids, right? And so it is just stunning. And I think it, it's important for us, see what you think about this. Uh, we need to focus on this atrocity, this human rights atrocity and the human suffering it, 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 it involved and what it says about the motives of the people do engaged in it, our government, we should be ashamed our government is doing this, that the United States of America is, is engaged in human rights atrocities, uh, but also not allow it only to be a matter of the separation because I think this is, this is simply the most visible, awful, element of a visible of, of a horrible unethical immigration policy in general that has been perpetrated by the right wing in this country that has refused to have any reasonable settlement of the immigration crisis and that's another big issue um it, again the immigration system is broken and we know that there's 
a lot going on on Capitol Hill. And it really seems to me, and I, and I, and I actually stated this to the committee, that there, there's a pattern here from the administration. You know, first it was they attacked the DACA children who, you know, have done nothing wrong at all. Um, and many of them were brought here as minors. They did not consent. You know, they've lived their whole lives here. They've contributed to our communities. Um, they continue to contribute to our communities. They've been using children and DACA. This is the second time, I believe, as leverage to divide people on this issue. And we need, you know, a responsible, uh, reasonable immigration reform that's compassionate, that does focus on, you know, safety, but also but, you know, honors the contribution of immigrants in our nation. And I, I believe a balance can be found. You know, we have midterms coming up, so my feeling is they're using children as a political football. And this is not the first time. I couldn't agree more. They're using this issue. They're using people as a political right. football. We talked earlier, really Sylvia, about oh. there how Walker is basically trying to kick people off health care as a, as a political football, which kills people. So there's the oh, same wow. kind of lack of ethics, right? I mean, and the problem, the thing that concerns me is because our side, you know, uh, gets all revved up about how evil Trump is, and this is all true, but he's doing this in our name. I mean, globally, we should all be embarrassed and humiliated that this is going on in our name, in the name of our country that we love. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, it's very disturbing. Like I said, I don't, I, I don't believe any president's ever had a zero-tolerance policy. I can't think of what, any of our nation's history. You have to really look can't. at things like the Japanese internment or the forced removal of Native Americans from their land, things like that, to, to, to get to this level, especially since there's a possibility now that they're not going to be able to reunify some of these kids with their parents, that they have permanently... <laughs> taken away kids from parents with no process at all, just out of animus, spite, and for political advantage. Correct. So, Sylvia, obviously this is um, something that will, I assume this resolution will do very well in Milwaukee County. I think one of the really true powers of this is if we can spread this and get this going throughout the state. So um, we have a number of folks who listen who sit on county boards or on city councils what 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 do you say to them uh, if they are interested in getting involved? Is there a way they can get in touch with you and learn more about how how you can share this and get this moving? Absolutely, there is um, there is a way. Um, let me give my email address. Um, it's Sylvia S Y L V I A dot Ortiz O R T I Z Velez B E L E Z at Milwaukee County wi.gov, um, and I'd be more than happy to, you know, share the resolution or answer any questions uh, on the issues um, and um, try to assist, if I can, on helping others uh, get, the, get the word out and get, the, get a resolution out in other counties. Well, that sounds great. First of all, Sylvia, we want to thank you for being a member of Citizen Action, for the leadership you've shown, and obviously for taking a lead on getting this resolution out there and continuing to make sure that this issue doesn't go away, especially as you mentioned, on the week where we passed the 20 days and they're clearly in violation. So um, thank you very much for, for, for doing that. Well, thank you for um, keep, keeping this issue in front of the people and being passionate about it. All right. Thank you very much, Sylvia. And with that, we got to take a break here at the Battleground Wisconsin. We'll be back right after these messages. 
Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We also, again, want to thank Sylvia Ortiz-Velez for joining us to talk about the resolution of Milwaukee. Again, want to encourage you, if you are on a county board or uh, a local elected, to reach out to her and spread this. We want to spend a little bit of time, real briefly, just want to talk about the governor's race. Um, we're, we're less than a month away, and we want to remind folks about the Wisconsin's Choice Project that we're involved in through the Wisconsin Working Families Party. And that project is having a forum, which is going to be on Sunday evening. And they're the top four candidates, Mike McCabe, Malin Mitchell, Kelda Roys, and Kathleen Beinout, are going to be in a debate. Top four in the process. Top four in the Wisconsin's Choice process, which a number of you have participated in. And then following the debate on Sunday, the voting will open up again. We'll have links. We'll get links out uh, for you to be able to vote in that next week. Uh, but make sure you're able to vote. And when you do make your vote, you're also making a commitment to give some of your time, 10 hours of your time, to either one of the candidates you support or uh, the eventual uh, uh, candidate nominee. So please uh, check that out. And also there's a, number, there's a, a, a debate that's occurring on Thursday. Uh, unfortunately, by the time most of you listen, it will have occurred. But please uh, make sure you are paying attention. The race is less than a month away. Robert, we got to talk a little bit about WEDEC before we uh, wrap this show up and Foxconn and their interconnection. But uh, important news this week that came out on Wednesday, uh, WEDEC is forgiving a $1.1 million loan from Greenbox. And I believe we've talked about Greenbox a number of years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is a, a fine upstanding company. The CEO is, I think he's a, a Medal of Valor guy. No, this is Robert Give, give the details on this fine fellow from Greenbox. And from De Pere, <laughs> you know, he's, uh, he's in tremendous legal trouble. And so they've given, he's in fact being sent to jail. This is. Uh, oh, so he's not getting Ron a Medal of Honor. Vanden Heuvel. Oh. Maybe, he, <laughs> maybe he received a special Governor Walker Medal of Honor For earlier. Job, job Just creation. kidding. Don't politifact me. <laughs> uh, and there is such a thing as humor, politifact. So, yes. We, the, the brilliant people at WEDEC, the same folks who say we're not going to worry about what Foxconn does because Foxconn knows what's best, they thought that Mr. Vanden Heuvel knows what's best. You understand the philosophy here. When they're giving money to a corporation or a rich business guy, then no strings attached. We trust you, even though it's public money. But when it's something like, uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm having trouble finding a job and my family needs food, then we're going to force drug test you, okay? That, that's, the, that's, the, that's the Walker administration. And so this is part and parcel. There's been democratic outrage about it, but it shows that, I mean, this is Governor Walker's economic philosophy. It is just to give money to rich people and corporations and hope for the best because them having our money is the best thing, whether it be by tax cut or whether it be through direct subsidy to Foxconn or loans to Mr. Vanden Heuvel. Yeah, no, I mean, it, we've been saying this for years. It goes without saying it. We, we really need an economic development policy that focuses on, ma- first of all, making sure that there's actual job creation. That's a, that, we'll start there. But that these jobs actually pay a good wage 
and that they go to the places where we need them. Yes. Yeah, and that they exist. (laughs) (laughs) And that we verify they exist. All right. But (laughs) we're going to have even higher expectations and that they actually occur in areas where we most need employment. And so some of our rural areas in Milwaukee and Racine and Kenosha and other areas that are struggling with employment. You know, some our audience won't think we're I'm being harsh, but some of the troller community that listens to us will be. Remember, the last state audit of Weedex says that they are still ill-equipped and unable and unwilling to verify whether the, any of the whether the jobs they're paying to be created are actually created. And as far as where they are, they produce a disproportionate share in Waukesha, where they're clearly not needed. About the richest county in the in the state, because because Weedex says we give to who applies. So. Again, further proving that we need to get rid of Weed Act. We need a public, accountable job creation and was agency. Was anyone fired for the Vanden Heuvel loan? I mean, there that it, it was it was it was sloppily handled, right? Is anyone accountable at all? Is Governor Walker ever accountable for any of this? I guess that comes down to the election. Well, Robert, right, I believe folks? we're I believe we're probably about like four Weedek administrations yeah, removed right. from the beginning of the right. green box or whatever. But they're treating so. it as a PR problem, not as a is governor. Any evidence Governor Walker pounded a table and said, "This can't happen. We can't be giving uh, big loans to con men anymore." Do we think? I think he pounded the table and said, "We can't have any more bad press suppress this." So, and that gets us to Foxconn. Yeah, I was going to say, related to Weedex, <laughs> since Weedex is the one who's held responsible for making sure Foxconn delivers, although they've already publicly stated they're not going to even micromanage and look at it because Foxconn's micromanage? brilliant. Micromanage? They manage at all. <laughs> brilliant and doesn't need to it's be managed. Our money. How Can dare we? Can you imagine your investor doing this? Can you imagine Warren Buffett saying... Take my money. I don't care. I trust you. I trust you. You're a multinational with a great track record. Yeah. So there was some news that came out after last week's uh, show, and so we wanted to make sure our listeners did not miss it. And it was news that the Biz Times put out that talked about how Foxconn immediately had tried to basically shake out of let's 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 just say call it what it is. Uh, the the media is saying they were looking for flexibility. They were looking to push down wages, okay, <laughs> and essentially say that uh, the the way that they were trying to change it is that Foxconn would have been able to pay essentially about ninety four percent of their employees thirty thousand well, or Matt, less. That's uh, that's garbage, Matt. That is uh, Walker economic <laughs> policy to lower <laughs> wages. Remember, so I'm not and I'm making that up. And so here's the thing, right? Billions, Robert, I sat through the 10-hour hearing to testify against this thing when it first was come out. And business leader after business leader, many of those who have bankrolled Walker's campaign, assured us they're going to be an average of $53,000 a year. And it's $53,875. By the way, it's not in the MOU, the member understanding. It's just a general non-written agreement. But apparently that was too much for Foxconn. And so the way they were going to calculate it is unofficially, remember, not in the MOU, was is that they're only going to count jobs um, up to $100,000. You didn't, you didn't basically stack the deck with all the million-dollar salaries, right? Foxconn kept pushing and pushing and pushing, and so they're up to 400000 okay? So what that means is, is that that 400000 can average out a lot of 30,000 jobs to seem like they're $53,000 jobs. Get it? And the Weedex response was, the agency declined to comment on specific parts of the negotiation. Thank you. This is our money, our agency. Remember, you partially privatized. That's the whole point of WEDEC, so we don't know. We already know they're building a totally different facility that will require 
Most people think about a third of the investment. WeDeck doesn't care. They said, we, we trust Foxconn. They know their business, right? So we're just going to trust them. But then we had uh, the uh, someone who should have been fired a long time ago, the CEO of WeDeck, the current one. I think it's the fourth, right, Matt? Um, or Hogan. So, Mark Hogan. I would not be surprised if the company's plans for its advanced manufacturing campus changed as the facility is being constructed because they're not keeps changing. One of the reasons we aligned with Foxconn is the first place because this is a company that has been at the leading edge of technology the last 44 years and continues to evolve and lead the way in the industry. They've done it successfully, and we expect the success to continue going forward. That is the extent of the scrutiny, folks. Uh, trust Foxconn, the company of false promises and suicide nets. We're not talking about other traditions at Foxconn as well. Yes, this is one of those situations where, as I visualize this, as he's describing it, I see this giant whale like going through, and we're the barnacle that's trying to like attach itself and just sort of ride along and hope we got a good Can whale. Someone <laughs> do an open records request. One of our members, this would be great. Any of our listeners on News Talk 1510 or 1580. And that is, when we do a open records request of WEDEC asking whether the capital investment tax credits, which are a subsidy because Foxconn won't own any taxes, um, could include uh, the, the, the construction of suicide nets. Do you get a tax credit for that? Uh, go ahead, folks. Open records request WEDEC and let us know how it goes. So, look, the other thing Foxconn and Walker have been up to since... Look, they, they read the polling. This stuff's not popular, and it's wildly unpopular once you get outside of <clears throat> southeastern Wisconsin. So Walker has, throughout this, been on tour, going around these other parts of the state, promising that this was going to be great for other parts of the state. That we're gonna, first, it was the supply chain. It's going to be really big. It's going to be awesome. So as more people realize the supply chain is bogus, now he's taken Not to going to Lacrosse and Rhinelander. Folks. He's Sorry. clearly taken to going to Foxconn and probably demanding that they build these satellite headquarters. Now one they've announced we, one in Green Bay, Milwaukee, and now they're promising one for the Chippewa Valley. We just suspect it, Politifact folks. We do it. We do it. Just why would you put 200 high tech jobs in Green Bay when the plant is in Mount Pleasant and put some in Chippewa Falls unless this it's just to spread the wealth a little for Governor Walker's reelection? In fact, maybe Walker gave away on the wages in return for that. It totally, I'm yeah. Robert, maybe? you said it. I that's why I wanted to connect these, <laughs> these things for people in terms of the wages and, and the changing of the size of the factory. And okay, well, then you're going to make sure that this thing goes to Milwaukee, Green Bay. Oh, F Chippewa. Oh, next will be Wausau. By the way, folks, these are all critically important political uh, areas, not only for Walker's reelection, but for the Republicans holding the uh, state legislature. And then it's not jobs for us because Walker again said this week we need to attract more millennials to the state. And by that, he meant knowledge working kind of cool millennials that he, he thinks he likes. They don't like him so much, but he thinks he likes. And with that, we have to wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin. We, of course, want to thank Sylvia Ortiz-Velez for joining us. And uh, again, want to encourage you, if you are a local rep, to get in touch with her about her resolution around opposing the Trump zero-tolerance immigration policy. Rebecca, we hope you're having a great vacation. We'll see you all next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin.